0: I think I even argued that we are cyphids. We, the technology and our phones and all other, like I'm never without some form of technology or some speed. Like for me, it's either the phone, the tablet, the laptop or the TV. I'm with one of four throughout the day and look good on sleeping, you know? But I feel like we are, we they, it is who we are and it's how we represent ourselves and how we connect with people, especially today.
1: Hello and welcome back to another episode of Edit Undo. This is episode nine and the guest on the show we have for you today is Sabia Banubai. She is a designer, developer and founder and entrepreneur of Jack Studios. And we're going to chat to her a little bit about uh, ethical design today. But before I give too much away, I will hand it over to her to share a little bit about who she is and why she's here with us today.
0: Welcome, Sabia. Hi, thank you guys so much. So, I have a background in software development. That's actually what I studied initially. But during my course, I was quite interested in design and I always worked while I was studying. So, having industry experience actually helped me understand what was missing from the studies, I guess, uh, with regards to the design Mm -hmm. side. And that's when I decided to do my honours a year after completing my degree, and I felt like I was way more ready Mm -hmm. to explore something. Believe it or not, I didn't start out with ethical design as the topic sort of formed during the studies. I was one of those people that changed my entire topic, my entire thesis, like <laughs> which is not advised, but I'm glad that I did. I um, actually was quite keen at that time, I think in 2018, to delve into like design systems and understanding you know, how, how things can be done better. But during that process, um, something that came up for me a lot was my own personal anxiety. That was coming through mm-hmm. the projects I was doing and it was popping up, you know, and trying to manage multiple roles in my life. So having the business and on the side, which was like freelancing while doing honest full-time, while having a full-time job, you know, being a friend, a sister, all these various roles we play in our life. And that's when I decided to actually start exploring how the technology I was using was actually triggering my own anxiety and whether this was happening. Sure. And that's basically mm-hmm. how I sort of landed up delving really deep <laughs> into the anxiety of the social media and uh, chatting applications. Yeah, I think that's where we got mm-hmm. today to see what everyone has to think about design. Being design.
2: Yeah, and I think... I think this is going to be an interesting discussion um, just because it's sort of like a space where I think the three of us are kind of like natives. Mm -hmm. Um, This is sort of like our shared um, discipline or skill set. But then at at the same time, also, each of us live on all of these digital platforms that we use. (laughs) Yeah. and I mean all three of us are humans as far as I'm aware. So I think um, aspects of it people will be able to relate to, but I guess we'll be able to bring a little bit some of something extra to the table because of our backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you know you've you, you've kind of given us a little bit of an an introduction as to um, what it what or rather how you kind of came to your topic. But I think one of the things that's a little bit interesting, Um, And based on like an area of interest for myself personally was um, anxiety Mm -hmm. relating to um, these digital platforms of digital communication and how anxiety actually shows up in social situations versus Mm -hmm. um, in digital situations, because I have to say, I'm not a person who experiences um, social anxiety very much. I think Mm -hmm. I'm a person who thrives on, on, (laughs) on social situations, actually. So, um, I mean, I remember um, when Steph and I were first thinking about doing this podcast together, right? And like, we kind of did a test run. And at the end of it, I was like, I was feeling so amped. And I was like, you know, I could do this forever. And then Steph was like, sure, I need a nap. <laughs> and it just kind of like, um, it, it really, for me at that moment, highlighted that, you know, two, two people can be in the same situation and experience the same thing but takes very different things out of it. Mm. And, you know, mm. when you're a person who is designing um, an app or a platform or any kind of experience, it's hard to actually take that into account. It's hard to actually think that, think on both, on, on like, on one hand, you sort of think for this side of this kind of edge user, and then also need to think of the the other edge user. And so I think one of the, the first things that I'd like to, that I'd like to explore, explore and, you know, whether Steph or Sabina, if you've got something on this topic is around this idea of um, physical spaces versus digital spaces, because, you know, our bodies have evolved over millions of years. And the way that we've evolved and the way our biology is geared is towards physical spaces, because that's been our environments for so long. And then over Mm -hmm. the last 20, 30, 40 years, this new sort of um, heretical environment has kind of found its way into our space, and it's almost like our biology hasn't figured out how to deal with it yet. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So I don't know. Are there any thoughts that immediately come to mind around that topic?
0: Yeah, for me, that is, I think, the basis of a lot of my research was around trying to understand why things work Physical spaces that have not yet been translated to digital spaces. So, one of the things I explored was chat applications and specifically WhatsApp, mm-hmm. for example, where we each have different versions of ourselves, depending on who we're with and where we are. Like the way you dress mm-hmm. at home versus how you would dress at work or with family or for a certain occasion. None of that seems to change in the digital space. You've still seen like the things you post, your profile picture, they might seem like small things or like status updates. A lot of that is not Mm -hmm. for everyone, or it's the version of you that only certain person would know, or a certain type of people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's something I struggled with because, as I said, I was playing these different roles, especially the year when I was doing my honors. It felt invasive to have my personal and professional life almost exist in the same digital space. Because on one Mm. hand, I was, you know, having fun and going out because, you know, you finally had enough money when you work and just, like, traveling and having, like, a proper social life. But while that's happening, your, you know, clients, your freelance clients are actually, they watching your status and then messaging you at, like, 10 o'clock at night with ideas that they have or, you know, work mm-hmm. that needs to get done, and for me, it was like, okay, then I started feeling anxious, okay, I can't be online <laughs> at that time, or I can't read yes. <laughs> their message. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you know, because if you don't reply to their messages, immediately people get really upset like, oh, why are you blue-ticking? So it was all those small nuanced things about existing in one digital space as different people. That I don't know mm-hmm. if it's been solved yet. with other people, yeah. okay, But I know I do. Hopefully,
3: yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: And what you were saying, you know, people people can see you online. It's almost as if people associate your uh, your digital version of yourself to be synonymous with your physical self. Mm-hmm. So it makes it even harder to set up those boundaries. Um, Speaking about boundaries, that's probably, you know, one of one of the things that came out of your study, I'm sure, um, you know, because I think this type of technology and how technology is moving, it's really forcing us to, to re-look at those boundaries. And those boundaries start in the physical world before they start in the digital
0: world.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and, but do you guys feel like we've stopped wanting to allow certain people into that digital space? Like if the client has my number these days, I want mm. them to WhatsApp. So I don't make mm. absolutely, yeah. I,
2: I, I definitely, um, I think it has, it has like, I think especially over 20, uh, t- what end of 2020. I guess I had a a little bit of a a, um, burnout and like sort of my crash. And as a result, I was like, okay, I need to step back from social media completely, like almost pretty much everything for like for the first three weeks. I wasn't even on WhatsApp, like let alone everything else. I was like completely unreachable. And then I started to get back to like I reactivated my LinkedIn account. I um, started using WhatsApp again, but I never got back to Instagram like my account has been suspended for like a year and (laughs) or deactivated for like a year and a half now. And the thing that has surprised me the most is I think about my phone less, like, because there there are times even when I don't even look at my phone, but I think about it. I'm like, Hmm, I wonder if, you know, this person has posted that or like, I've been waiting to hear about this person's album. I wonder if they've, they've, they've said anything and you know, in a sense you think that you're thinking about that specific piece of music or you think that you're thinking about the album. But actually you're thinking about this platform because essentially like the platform has created this like relationship with you, this sort of like symbiotic technology relationship. Mm-hmm. And it's not clear how much control we have over it. Yeah. And it's
3: yeah. And it's
0: because it's giving understands what we intrinsically want or what we need as humans you know that validation mm-hmm. the feeling of humility the, the attention like none of those things are bad things it's just because it comes in yeah. large quantities and we get used to what i call that dopamine rush that it has those negative side effects so you become addicted to it or you need it or you're mm-hmm. consistently looking at it all the time subconsciously craving something that it's really
3: Mm. Mm-hmm.
0: which is the dangerous part so was, I also went off yeah. social media I'm so off and <laughs> from 2018 I don't have Instagram or Facebook um, I have LinkedIn but up until last year I never considered it a social media but now I realize that mm-hmm. it is but now it's just work-related yeah. yeah. anxiety <laughs> of seeing everyone doing really well starting new jobs and you know, eventually I also had to mm-hmm. take a break from that so I think anything yeah. that becomes too much and too invasive can be an issue, especially if you are someone that struggles with that anxious nature.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: I want to uh, take a quick step back to the thesis you were referring to, um, which relates to ethical design. Can you maybe share just... You know, what was the hypothesis you were trying to prove or disprove or or testing? Um, Yeah, what was it about, essentially? It
0: took me, I think, about two and a half months to answer that part. Um, (laughs) That was the first part. They're like, you know, what point Mm. of this? And I think for me, it was, I think everyone always agreed that in some shape or form, you know, it triggered some form of anxiety for them. Uh, There was something about it that was unsettling. So for me as a designer, it, it was way more interesting to figure out what those points were. So where in the journey did it trigger anxiety and why? I was looking at more like the micro interactions, what from a design perspective was implemented that negatively affected certain groups of people.
3: Mm-hmm. people
0: so was mental health issues in anxiety and a little bit of obsessive compulsive disorder. So that's when I came about, it, blue tick anxiety is actually like <laughs> a thing now, you know. And, mm-hmm. and that's when I started looking at those small things that were happening that actually, you know, were so consciously put there. Like no one just decided yeah. to be ridiculous and forgot about it, you know. There was a conscious decision made into what the interactions did and how a user should respond to that. But I don't know how much goes into, even from as a designer, I don't really think that much into or what does someone with anxiety feel, or what does someone with, you know, obsessive compulsive disorder feel. Do. I don't know if that's mm-hmm. a part of our thought process when designed. So that was really what I was trying to figure out was, is there a way for us to be more conscious of the way we design? Is there a way to be more ethical in terms of yeah. what we're doing to someone to mm. mm-hmm. and,
2: and did your you
1: study mostly focus
0: on the South African audience? Yeah, so that was what I had um, sort of in reach. So I think there must have been between 50 and 70 people that participated in the the research that I was doing mm-hmm. so it was very like data orientated was just understanding like collecting data on what do people feel why do they feel that way um to just see mm-hmm. how many they were and I mean it was such a large percentage that's when and obviously you wouldn't see that in retrospect but okay it was a much bigger topic than I could have handled in just uh, mm-hmm. on this paper so the side I took to, it was almost like just a slice of the pie to just look at WhatsApp specifically and look at how, in my opinion, it could have been done better for someone like me and mm-hmm. other people that were experiencing what I was experiencing at the time. Usually it's a bad idea to take yourself as the user, <laughs> but I think that mm-hmm. an interesting thing. Like if I am feeling this way and other people are feeling this way, what is triggering that and what can we do to sort of create a better space because you can never fully take something away without creating another problem. Cause like when we, when I ask people, okay, why don't you put it off? Then they feel like completely left in the dark now. Now they don't know what's going on. Did it get delivered? (laughs) Uh, Mm -hmm. Not using the app anymore. So this obviously is positives, but I think to any extreme, they become negatives i wouldn't say i Mm. solved any issues for me this is actually at that point delving into what the possible problems Mm.
3: Mm -hmm.
0: okay
2: well well look i have to say i i feel like you need to give yourself a little bit more credit than that severe because you know i mean so to to be fair like um so i think your research was about what five six years ago um something like that yeah Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) it feels like a lifetime ago i guess um but I think a lot, and I, you know, I mean, I've I've kind of been through that paper twice now and, and quite a number of the things that you, that you put there have, have actually been updates in WhatsApp since. So I think, first of all, we can definitely agree that you were onto something, but I think for me, one of the ones that was the, the, the most pertinent or the most interesting, which I don't think has been like uh, completely explored yet by WhatsApp is the, um, So there was this sort of like idea of, um, as you, as you mentioned earlier on, of kind of living as multiple people on a digital platform, your, your professional self, your, your family self and your, um, yourself as a friend. Right. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: And you sort of had this idea of actually instantiating that as a feature in the platform. Mm -hmm. And for me, that I think was one of the, the, the most interesting, Mm -hmm. and I don't, I don't know if this is something that they've explored before, But I think especially because WhatsApp is so prolific, especially in South Africa and and in many other countries, it seems like it would be a smart idea just because, you know, when we think about our our real life relationships, you know, stepping back to the idea of digital environments versus physical environments. Mm we're not the same person in our physic, like our real life relationships. Yeah. Like <laughs> the way you speak to your friends is not the way you speak to your parents. It's not the same, um, the way you speak to your significant other. And so I think there might be something, um, valuable in, in sort of bringing that actually to life or, or bringing that to the, the digital space mm-hmm. and then. And then I remember when we first kind of started chatting in preparation for this podcast, we started talking a little bit specifically around family and family groups. Yeah. Um, and I think that that for me is one that's super interesting. And maybe before I, I I put forward my anecdote, is there is there maybe anything specific that you've kind of picked up that's either different or maybe noteworthy about family groups and like how they how they sort of surface themselves for you?
0: And that, for me, was probably one of the bigger points of anxiety for me, mm. was I think any sort of group, so even work groups, but family groups specifically, mm. because I feel like you never really know your family until you're on WhatsApp with them, and then you start realizing they have very specific beliefs and conspiracy theories and ways of communicating that if you just, you know, mm-hmm. put them at a wedding or... Especially, like, larger families. So I have 70 cousins just from my mom's side.
3: So we don't see each
0: other (laughs) often. Mm -hmm. And now we have a group. And there's this one older cousin that I actually grew up with that religiously every week posts about the COVID vaccine and all these memes and all these statistics and research Mm -hmm. that's been done about it. And I'm like, cool, it's okay if mm-hmm. you don't want it and don't believe in it. But it's almost like subconsciously they're trying to force it down your throat. And I'm like, I'm vaccinated mm-hmm. already. I can't take it out of my body, even if I change my mind and
3: mm-hmm.
0: on it. Or just like religious stuff as well. Then you have like the one side of the family that goes into these long, you know, sermons on the group. And then the next minute someone's mm-hmm. posting the movie. It's such an interesting Mm -hmm. space where nothing of value actually happens. There's no conversations that are worthwhile. It's just people sort of shouting out into the air. (laughs) (laughs) That's very, very true. Wow. there's subgroups (laughs) talking about what's happening in the main group,
3: which Mm -hmm. is
0: really interesting. Like some of the cousins would go into one group and then they you know, make their own plans and keep oh my God, have you seen what this one's posting? This one's father is at it again. And I felt the same happened with mm. work groups or friend groups. There was always like the main group where no one actually said anything worthwhile. There was just some loud voices and then some the groups, which is like having a group mm-hmm. of friends or a group of family and then you go to the side and like, talk about each other.
2: Mm. Mm. So, yeah. It, it, exa- and I think that actually is very interesting, like that that idea that you mentioned about like, you know, you'd never find like people in a conversation, for example, at a dinner table, like, you know, somebody says something and then two people just whisper to each other, <laughs> like talking about the person who just said something like in a physical environment, that would be so obviously um, improper to do and like rude. Yeah. But then when you're in this digital space, they're like different rules.
0: There are no rules. I think that's the thing, like you create yeah. how you want to act and interact in those spaces. And I think for me what mm-hmm. was also fascinating was, you know, the different platforms and then having different conversations with the same person in different platforms, and mm-hmm. that's not even physically possible. You, you know, you snap <laughs> yeah. him, this conversation and then you're Instagramming about that in the DMs and then WhatsApp something is happening.
3: Yeah, mm-hmm. and
1: on that topic, that's probably my biggest pet peeve would be work WhatsApp groups. And it's almost like, you know, there's so many casual work chat platforms now, if you think about Slack and Teams, which has normalized this quick messaging between colleagues. Um, but one thing I I don't know if you guys experience the same, but if I were to chat to a colleague on, let's say, Slack or Teams or Zoom or wherever you use your colleague platforms the the um the mannerism you speak to them the words you use the language is very different when it's on a work whatsapp group it becomes almost too casual for me Mm -hmm. it's almost like they when I say they, I'm not referring to my specific colleagues, but I've observed this in friends as well, that it's it makes it okay to now ask for certain things if I'm asking it on the channel of WhatsApp versus a business request on um, a more official work platform. <laughs> <laughs> or the people sending personal messages on a work
0: WhatsApp group. My gosh. Mm. <laughs> like, oh. I don't know. Yeah, and it's out? like, like, have they stopped? Um, and we have a rule in our team. Like, we all have preferred ways of being contacted. Yeah. So, for example, mm-hmm. I'm like, send me an email because that's how I'll get to it. Um, if you call me, I'm gonna have a mm-hmm. panic attack. If there wasn't a message telling me that you're gonna call me, <laughs> just email me. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, a lot of them told me, you know what? Please don't WhatsApp us. If you have any thoughts or ideas, just. Put it in a space where we can come back to it later because, especially running my own mm-hmm. business, that's something I got into a bad habit. We're sitting late at night and you're coming up with these things, and then you just like forward it to the WhatsApp group, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's 11 o'clock at night, so like no one's going to interact with this, and then yeah, it almost creates this culture of okay, it's okay to talk yeah. about outside of work hours, we yeah. Then with like a hard stop to, So we're like, okay, well is it and It's so strange. Like
1: would you have posted that same thing on uh, another channel at eleven o'clock at probably night? Not. Would you have <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'm not really gonna like copy it, put it into an email, write an email to everyone? Like it feels like it has to be way more thought out and Mm -hmm. Well, to give something to someone then sending them a link in a chat like oh go check this out yeah Yeah. like Mm -hmm. it it changes your behavior a lot so now Mm -hmm. I lock my phone at nine so all the apps close so that I also just stop myself from working at night or reading up about anything about work
3: Mm
2: yeah one thing just a thing that came to my my mind just now i was just actually thinking about um my dad so my dad kind of is like he has his own business and like um so he's a civil engineer but then he also does like network marketing Ooh. right and so for that reason he has got like probably thousands of people on whatsapp yes. maybe hundreds but possibly thousands and one of the things that i find so strange is he's absolutely okay to have like 60 message like unread messages like if you just scroll down on his phone there's like that green number at each of the chats and i'm just like when i get a message on whatsapp i'm like okay like i can't leave it unread for like (laughs) more than half a day half a day i'm like okay i I need to see what's going on here but like for my dad he's like he's more than happy like if he's doing something else like someone can be calling him and he'll look at his phone and it won't even bother him a little bit and I think it's because maybe he's a little bit more ingrained in the cultural norms that rule the physical environment and so because the digital space is a little bit more foreign it doesn't have as strong of an effect or as strong of a draw yeah. on him um, and you know I mean we, we've talked about it casually but 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 never really um that directed and I I guess I wonder like and it'll be interesting to hear what you think whether like there's there's a difference in between how the generations actually are experiencing these two different environments.
0: I'm pretty sure there's a massive difference. Like I take my mom for example. That I think it was up until a year ago that she refused to even use like a phone, like a, a smartphone. She used to, she had my little pink BlackBerry. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> that I used probably like, in <laughs> high school to contact her if you needed her. Otherwise, she's like, I'm at home, you know where I live? Uh, you can come visit. And if it's a phone call, it's like one and a half minutes. Like We get to the point and move on. Um, up until, yeah, like, mm-hmm. like, she was like, where's the buttons on this phone? And then, you know, like you know everyone's <laughs> messaging and there's so many messages and now they're sending pictures and there's like hearts and stuff. And how does she do that? and but the evolution mm-hmm. happens, so we she got into it, and then she oh no, but now I've learned how to send pictures and now I can send emojis and I don't know where they find stickers. I feel like it's that <laughs> has some access to the sticker pack and and I think they do adapt, mm. but they don't conform <laughs> like the, the like our rules that we have set with each other don't apply mhm-hmm,
3: mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Mm.
0: Yeah, also like any, with any social group, you've decided on what's okay and what's acceptable. And I assume with mm-hmm. them, it's okay. Mm-hmm. Like if you don't answer the phone, they'll phone back. Or if you don't reply to a message, you'll get to it. Whereas us mm-hmm. and even younger than us, it's like, that's not okay. Why are you ignoring me? Why are you ghosting me? And that's what we've now mm-hmm. determined as our rules, for social impact. Yeah.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: I guess we also
1: uh, feel like our digital selves are more synonymous than our physical selves. We see it, you know, where Alfie, the example you mentioned of your dad. I think that mental model that my my digital version of myself it's it's secondary. Mm. It's which makes it a lot easier to detach. That's not me. It's it's detached from me. Where I think for us living in this space, growing up in this space it made it a lot harder to detach from our digital selves and our physical selves. It becomes, it's part of the primary self.
0: It is. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I think that, I don't know if I explored it in the thesis, but it was part of the course where we looked at, you know, the idea of a cyborg and it felt foreign, mm-hmm. like, okay, like you have the technology on your body or like something had to be replaced to be considered a cyborg. But, I think I even argued that we are cyborgs. We, you know, the technology and our phones and all other, like, I'm never without some form of technology or some screen. Mm-hmm. Like for me, it's either the phone, the tablet, the laptop or the TV. I'm with one of four mm-hmm. <laughs> throughout the day, unless look <laughs> good you know? So I feel like we are, we, mm. they, it is who we are and it's how we represent ourselves and how we connect with people, especially today. I don't, like, yeah. with COVID happening, everyone had to figure out a way to connect and hold and maintain relationships online. And we had to adapt mm-hmm. to that and to the rules yeah. that we mm-hmm. created within that space. Mm-hmm. I know your
1: uh, thesis was mostly about WhatsApp. Um, did you at all research a little bit about Facebook Messenger? The, the, the reason I'm asking is... Um, you know, most of uh, the United States, Canada, Northern Europe use uh, Facebook messengers, their primary chat channel, as opposed to WhatsApp. Mm. Um, so for, for instance, my best friend who lives in Norway, when she met her husband, he installed WhatsApp just to talk to her because they use a Facebook messenger. And it's uh, when I thought about it, it's, it's a little bit different because in order for you to message someone on Facebook Messenger, mm-hmm. you have to be their Facebook friend. If, if uh, I, I need mean to be corrected. I think that's how it works. <laughs>
3: yeah.
1: uh, but then if you think about it, you won't have all your colleagues as Facebook friends, which means they can't really penetrate into your personal chat space like they would be able to in WhatsApp.
3: Mm -hmm. that
0: is interesting um i don't know when last i even looked at facebook (laughs) to be honest um but no Mm -hmm. that i I tried when i started out i was obviously very ambitious trying to look at the whole scope of um, Mm -hmm. different platforms and how they each work but they each their own ecosystem i think and Mm -hmm. eventually like I even went into the different operating systems. So the way WhatsApp works on an iPhone versus the way it works on Android for it is completely different. The entire yeah. thing mm-hmm. is different. And a lot of people don't actually know that because you only ever use yeah. one type of phone. So my WhatsApp on yeah. my iPhone looks the same way that my messages or my SMS do. Like. like it's the same layout, it's the same color. Like it doesn't even look like WhatsApp versus Android, which is so distinctly the way WhatsApp was designed. Mm-hmm. So that's where I Branded. was like, okay, now there's even operating systems involved, and there's so many ways in which the design changes. So how an iPhone user ex- experiences it versus an Android user was already different. So I can only imagine if you have multiple chat platforms and how each one has sure. its own Rules, because that's essentially what an app is, a system of rules that defines how it can be used. Mm-hmm. The one thing that was interesting for me on WhatsApp was the fact that you couldn't leave, like, you like, can't log out. Whereas, you know, mm-hmm. you can log out and then you're not getting those messages. There's no log out button on WhatsApp. Mm-hmm. Until today, that's Yeah, which is... <laughs> like it's, it's, and I think it's a, it's, it makes you available if you have to use the app or delete it. Those were the two options. There's no okay. I'm logging off mm. for the night and then I will log back on, which is similar to like a lot of opening things. emails. So, yeah. yeah. Mm. Mm.
2: And I think that's that's an important thing to 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 highlight. And <clears throat> um, Steph, kind of on your question, one of the things that I wanted to highlight because I think as as I guess technology people we might kind of um make the assumption that people get it but there's a clear distinction between facebook messenger and whatsapp and it's that essentially with facebook messenger you have control of your network you decide every single Mm. person that's your friend or not while on whatsapp a person that has your number has the ability to share it (laughs) with somebody else yeah which means your network or access to you is controlled by you and everybody else that has your number yeah no boundary mm and so i think that's that's one massive difference between the two platforms and it would be interesting to to sort of see how that actually affects people's communication and then sabir mm. um on on what you mentioned about android and and apple i think also there 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 are a few things that are like quite interesting so i i recently moved from an android phone to to an iphone right and it it blew my mind the the scale of the difference. And, you know, it, it's funny because every time, like, my, my brother gives me so much shit for 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 using an iPhone now. Like, he's like, oh, he's like, oh, now you're one of these Steve Jobs groupies or whatever. <laughs> but one of the things that I realized is, especially as a person that actually designs interfaces and a person who is actually understands the underlying thinking behind it, the two platforms are actually worlds apart. And normally when you say that, people think like, "Ah, oh, the features are basically the same. The operating systems can basically do the same thing. But the differences is not actually in the technology, but in how they're designed. Yeah. For example, one of the things that I found w- that was amazing is that with each, with each app that you install, you have to allow the notifications mm-hmm. on an iPhone and you have to do it individually. The second thing is, in terms of how it accesses your location on an iPhone, you can f- firstly you can you can give it access um, to any time the app is open. So there's there's no way to give it indefinite access mm. on an iPhone. You can you can either choose when the app is open, you can uh, choose to give it access to your location only once, mm-hmm. and you cannot allow. Mm. While for a long time, and I don't know if this is still the case on Android, but for a long time there was an the option to always allow, which means at any point in mm. time, it could allow, access your location, whether or not it's like, um, in the, in the foreground, mm. um, or you could not allow it. And I think like one of the things that Apple does really well is it builds levels of access, access to you, mm. uh, to each of the kinds of data. I mean, even just the, the access to your, um, your data for marketing material, mm-hmm. each app essentially has to ask permission to be able to actually capture that that um the the browsing um and metadata of your of your searches and i think it's it's something that's so subtle but it makes such a big difference because now for example the ads that i see on youtube are so general now it's it isn't like this super hyper hyper specific um, adverts that are based on literally like the last app that I had open. Like if, for example, like, you know, I open Superbalist and I'm like, I want to see how this filter works for the, something that I'm designing. Yeah. Next thing you know, I'm getting like <laughs> sneakers yeah. being advertised to me and like a completely new wardrobe. And I think it, it's just, it's such a big difference, but it's, it's not technology. It's not like the physical hardware that's different. Mm. And I think that's one of the things as maybe as a layperson, you might not actually pick up. Um, yeah, you. and I just find it really interesting.
0: interesting. Though. Like, why aren't you paying for YouTube? Mm-hmm.
2: Why aren't I paying for YouTube? No, oh, because I'm, I'm, I'm a man of the high seas. So <laughs> uh, on my computer, I have ad blocks, oh. um, which is technically not great for YouTube, but sorry, YouTube. <laughs> um, so I don't get any ads on, on, on YouTube. So on my phone, I get ads because there's no yeah, ad, right. ads there.
0: Okay, no, but no. Uh, I don't know. No, it is. like So actually, that was the year I switched from Android to iPhone as well because for the studies, I was like, okay, I'm going to do the two different platforms. I need to experience it. So my like mm-hmm. 2018 was me being a mad scientist on both, like having these two forwards, <laughs> trying this out, also sure. all the social media at the same time because what I was sort of theorizing is quite oh. generic. So okay, I was looking at like, Instagram and Facebook and all of that. So I went like full on into inducing my anxiety to see, okay, at which point am I feeling anxious? So Mm -hmm. And that's why at the end of it, I was like, I'm done. I deleted everything. But that swap between Android and iOS was crazy. And I think the longer I stayed with iOS, I realized how much they've changed on an operating system mm-hmm. that has affected all my apps yeah. was one of my solutions. was towards the end, I realized that you have to have almost an overarching control of your phone instead of each mm-hmm. app trying to have its own level of control. So I was also, what actually came out with iOS was the way I was sort of designing or conceptualizing how the operating system should allow you to manage your your notifications. Because that was obviously the the highest trigger point was that you get docked and having notifications and making sounds. Uh So (laughs) that was, and and they implemented that, which was pretty cool. It's something I used all today. Mm -hmm. Like even now, just before the call started, it was like, hey, you've got this in your calendar. Do you want me to put your phone on like, do not disturb mode?" Yeah. Yes, please do that. Mm -hmm. You know, and it sounds, it feels so obvious right now, but that didn't exist. Mm. then and it's understanding yeah. that your phone is an entire ecosystem that functions mm-hmm. with each other so if, and, and that's why I think also apps have realized that it's not about making 10 apps it's about how do you integrate with the apps people are already using and make that mm-hmm. a better experience that's why mm-hmm. I think there's like you know WhatsApp business came out now because they realize people are doing business on whatsapp and it's like the easiest way to contact your customers, why not just create Mm
3: -hmm.
0: a platform for you to do that? I think it's really great.
1: Yeah. And and you're right, it is an ecosystem, especially if you're an iOS user, right? Then you have your watch and you might have, I mean, I have an iPad, a watch, a laptop, and I recently sold my other laptop. So if my phone rang, it ran on, on four different platforms. If I got an email, all four would let me know I got an email. <laughs> um and you know I guess you can thank COVID a little bit as well for this rising trend of being more mindful and aware in the tech space with how we're using technology to not over exhaust ourselves, screen time, notification controls and all that. And I don't know if you've seen, but um, iOS recently also enhanced their um, do not disturb state. So usually you would have your normal state and do not disturb. Now you actually have a focus state that you can put your phone on and it will extend to your other devices. Or if you want to put it on sleep mode, or you can create your own custom mode to say this is focus time for focus time. I still want to receive emails, but not phone calls and WhatsApps, for for example. But the interesting for thing for me was, and the Do Not Disturb mode's been around quite some time. Yeah. But if I've and I've asked my circle of people on iOS, very few people actually utilize this mm. because we're now so used to not having boundaries in the tech space, or mm. in our digital space that now it's available but how do we now adjust and adapt and change to now use the, the the boundaries that 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 they're offering us I don't know if you guys do you use any of those modes I do
0: I like sleep mode I love airplane mode yeah <laughs> that's something I realized that um, changed my sleep routine was I put it on airplane mode which is the best thing ever because I don't wake up mm. to notifications. I don't wake up to phone calls. I wake up when my alarm goes on or the sun comes up, yeah. actually. But I think a lot of times it's also a lot of effort, you know, to set things up. And mm-hmm. some people just mm. either don't want to, don't know it's there, don't care. I, for one, love mm-hmm. settings. <laughs> I want to go in. Yeah. You know, like even with notifications specifically, because everything felt very on or off when I was doing my thesis. Like there wasn't a personalization of settings, which I think has been the game mm-hmm. at, at this point. Because as you're saying, there's different points in your day where you need different types of notifications. Mm-hmm. And being able to mm-hmm. set that up in a way that almost feels like it fits into your lifestyle, something I love doing and would love to become way more... Involved in, like, I'm happy for that, like, budget mm-hmm. to start taking control over those certain, certain things. But I don't think a lot mm. of people use a lot of the stuff that a phone offers. No, yeah. like, yeah. sadly, yeah, it's like and the phone is one. It's available now.
2: And I think on that, I think part of it also is in our mind. It's not always like super explicit when you're in trying to get into that space of do not disturb like you know when you're designing an interface you're like when the user doesn't want to be disturbed they will press the do not disturb button but like in your in your day-to-day it's kind of like i feel like going for a walk and that's really all that's at the surface of your mind but in actual fact it could be like i need to clear my head and i need to get into a space where i can be alone but that's not actually like the thought that goes through your mind. Or maybe like, you know, you're like, I'm going to put on some my earphones and just kind of listen to music so that all the people in this noisy coffee shop can just leave me alone. And so I think it's also because it's not completely obvious to us living in our own body when we actually need time off. And so one of the things that I have to admit was super interesting was um, like the the way do not disturb is linked to your sleep timer on, on, on my phone. Mm-hmm. That for me has been super interesting because it's almost like you can choose to keep yourself on like active mode, but if you don't do that, it automatically sets you to do not disturb during your sleeping yeah. hours. And that for me has been quite interesting because I think it's getting to the point where um, I think as uh, I think Sabir or Steffi might have mentioned, like where it almost is like up to the technology to start to almost help us control ourselves.
1: Yes. Because yeah.
2: it's it's clear that we we are not really able to do it ourselves. Yeah, um, yeah you And, you know, there, there is this moral gray line.
3: Mm. Oh,
0: yeah. The, I think it's, you have to opt in. I think at the end of the day, whatever okay. is created, you need to opt, Like I would opt in to it deciding when and when I shouldn't be receiving Mm -hmm. stuff. Um, If it knows me, because I would also assume that it's going to take my whole life, which is on my phone, come up with a way to understand what I want. I would hope we don't Mm -hmm. (laughs) I I think when I was sort of arguing my thesis, it was like uh, with regards to notifications that If I'm in a meeting, which is in my calendar that my phone knows, it also needs to be able to differentiate between, like, the importance of calls. So, for example, if my mom is phoning, generally that's an important call. But then how does the phone distinguish between important and urgent? Those were the two, Mm -hmm. like, types of things and notifications that didn't exist for me. Like, if I'm sending a message... Mm -hmm. Is this important or is it purged? like Do I need to attend to it now? Because yeah. that's how a notification comes up. Like, I need attention now versus, yeah. okay, this is important, but you can get to it later. And I think yeah. once we can set up a system like that, because I think each person will need to define, you know, if this phone call is a level of importance, eight <laughs> out of the scale of 10, like whatever my overall yeah. notifications are let the call come through someone is probably mm-hmm. sick or dying at the end of that. Or, mm-hmm. you know, if I'm in a meeting and all these other people phone, then don't let that come through. And I think they've started with that, with, like, you have your favourites. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. Like, do not disturb your favourites will still come through. Or a phone call will come through if someone has phoned more than once in a row. I think those are sort of some mm-hmm. of the rules that have started being put into place because there's only so much a phone can assume as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's where for me mm-hmm. design gets very interesting when it's beyond the interface where you actually start delving into the system design and, and being a developer mm-hmm. in yeah. my mind always went as well. I okay, what are the different rules we need to tell the system to do beyond what the interface shows? Yeah. yeah. That's very really uh,
3: interesting.
1: It is interesting. I want to jump back to what Alfie said around um, it's almost like the technology needs to start helping us create those boundaries. And it's such an interesting space and time for for us now in the product design space, you know, because these are the things we need to start thinking about and really finding that balance because it can feel invasive if you are going to enforce a boundary on someone or it. If you're not doing it, how are you gonna help them actually set up those boundaries? And I, I must say, there's a there's a few apps that are starting to do it more forcefully. But I would say the context obviously matters. If you if you if you've used CarPlay on your Apple device before, if you have CarPlay installed in your car, one thing Spotify even even with an aux cable, I think Spotify if you plug it into your car. The view completely changes the interface changes mm-hmm. to to car view mm-hmm. um which i which I really find uh that i didn't think was invasive mm-hmm. or it didn't make me feel uncomfortable, mm-hmm. so I think it's uh, as as designers developers uh creators in the tech space, you know we have to be careful, but the context does matter, and
0: it can be helpful. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Those are the things, like, I've always wondered about, you know, texting and driving, because if you think don't do it, it doesn't just like, mm-hmm. stop people from using their phone while they're driving. So how do mm-hmm. you, like, for example, go into car mode to make certain things more accessible and easier to use while driving if you have to use mm-hmm. it? Like, you Google Maps and just go to the car I need to get somewhere and then... While I'm there, I'm like need to change direction, and it's what it takes. You almost like have to stop, do what you need to do, and carry on. So, context for sure, and then also starting to I think understand the integration into people's lives.
3: Yeah, Mm -hmm.
0: exactly right. It's.
1: When we when we started designing for the space we thought about okay cool we have desktop now we have mobile now something needs to be responsive it's almost like there's now been another device or mode added so we had desktop tablet mobile and our car view kind of becomes a a different responsive size right because now if you want to use google maps on your phone I would love if I open Google Maps and it can sense that I'm moving, which it should because they have a gyroscope and gyrometer to see I'm moving, to just enlarge that damn search tab. Yeah. So the touch target <laughs> is bigger. Because... <laughs> you know, I forgot to put the address in before I started driving. So now I have to do it and I'm feeling a bit shameful for using my phone while driving. So it's making it even more dangerous because now I'm putting my phone on my lap to yeah. don't want people in the car next to me <laughs> seeing I'm using my phone, but I'm just using Google Maps. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it's almost like we, we have this extra responsive mode or device we have to start considering. And I'm pretty sure if we think, Five years ahead, there's going to be more of those I would, coming along. I would hope
0: that we stop referring to things just by the device, but by the context in which it's being used. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. As designers, also we've gotten really tired of like we need desktop design, I mean, mobile design. So <laughs> what's next? You know, can we get past the the base and get into like the next layer? For me, everything is in layers in life, and I want to like really get into. How do you improve this? Because I also have this a lot with mm-hmm. clients where they always want an app to do everything, like the Swiss Army knife, you know. Whereas mm-hmm. stuff like Google Maps or like Spotify, they do one thing and they just figure out how to consistently do it better for so you keep mm-hmm. using it. And I think that's the part mm-hmm. where a lot of products fail. They they don't just keep getting better at what they do, they just keep adding more. You're like, oh let's now you should be able to, you know, access your wallet from here and now do payments from here and make a chat in mm-hmm. like a whole e-commerce store, which is great. <laughs> if that's what is going to be an elevated experience for the customer that's using. But mm-hmm. like I take Discovery, for example, I like don't ever open that up because I don't know what it does other than <laughs> everything really badly. <laughs>
3: Yeah,
0: <laughs> but every time I really go into it, it's like, okay, I want to redeem my points for Kawhi because I don't want to buy them. <laughs> I don't think that's the purpose of that. Sure, you know, yeah, it's, the
1: app. Yeah, or just make sure you've reached your goal so I can <laughs> stop
0: paying for my damn Apple Watch. <laughs> exactly, mm-hmm. you know. So, yeah, I think our jobs as a whole will hopefully become a lot more. Way and yeah.
2: it, as we become way more connected as well. Mm. So I wanna hold our feet to the fire a little bit because we're talking about all of these amazing things that technology should do. But if I really think about it, <laughs> we are the people who need to make that change. Because the ball is essentially in our court. Yeah. We are the ones who spend the time talking to customers. We are the ones who need to do the research to actually inform this technology. And one of the things that I wanted to mention is like we see all of these things and we pick up these contexts. But then when I now think about like how do I convince my business stakeholder who let's say and I always I I like to think back to ABSA because like there's a very big difference between the typical banker and the typical designer. So those stereotypes kind of give a good contrast. Mm. Like how do I for example convince um this this person who is the owner of credit card, for example, that like it's in the business's best interest to not send a notification every week to this person about the fact that they qualify for a credit card. Because, um you know, normally the way that we sort of sell ideas like that to a business is through the financial value that it can provide. But we're not talking financials here. We're not talking about like something that's necessarily going to show on the bottom line of the business. So Mm -hmm. like what, what, maybe you guys could um, give your thoughts or give advice, like how as a designer do we actually have that conversation?
3: I
1: think it's really hard in very established places Mm
0: -hmm. because
1: that, that model of customer value equals business value was never part of the foundation in the way of thinking where in, you know, startup scale ups, it's, it's a lot easier, um, to, to convince people to show people that customer value equals business value. Uh, I think we, the past decade, we've seen more advertising agencies close down Mm -hmm. because we, we, we are naturally moving from the space of marketing for you know, a capitalist consumerist approach of um, I'm showing you what you want now buy it versus I will just give you what you want and you'll come back and buy something else or do something else that will help me bring it to my bottom line and i I think it's very hard if if you're working with businesses i I, I don't have concrete <laughs> or or really good advice on how to tackle. How to tackle that because it's, yeah, it's a, it's a matter of trying to show them the value. But in, in the end of the day, if it's a, an established business that has been grown on the foundation of believing that the business value should come first, it's very hard to change that belief system.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: I think what's something that the way I would approach it, that I think I would you could ever pay me enough to work in a bank <laughs> is showing you that that's what I, said. <laughs> oh, I don't know like I don't know how you guys mean. I do admire you mm. but also I think just my personality I don't have the attention span to work on one thing or in one year. Mm-hmm. that's why I love having multiple clients it's always fun to jump in between things but what I mm-hmm. do is we understand user behavior, and you can show that if you're bombarding a user with a lot of notifications, what are they doing? So, for example, mm-hmm. if a large proportion of people are just turning off the notifications, which is what I would assume they would do, then you're mm-hmm. not reaching them at all. You can't mm-hmm. contact them at all. So, I would say, you know what? And I think that's where user research comes in which is not something we do a lot, I think. Like, I'm guilty of that. I've I, never on a product long enough to delve into those nuances. But mm-hmm. I think if you can start showing that the user is now having an adverse effect to what they want to achieve, that might help for mm-hmm. us to say, okay, rather have a mechanism in-app to control the amount of notifications or the type of notifications, that they can curate what they want and be able to talk to them in the way that they want to be talked to as opposed Mm -hmm. to just off and on, because I want to know every time my money goes out of my account, but Mm -hmm. now if I'm getting spammed, I'm probably just going to turn it off, and then I'm going to have an overall negative experience, because now I'm not Mm -hmm. getting any notifications of value. That to me would be one way of tackling it. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and and look, I think in a sense this is kind of like a loaded question because I think it's a, it's it's not just the role of design. I think mm-hmm. I just kind of wanted to bring it to us because that's kind of like the space yeah. that we're playing in.
0: Please, and one
2: of the I things do, that I think
0: that's the thing mm-hmm. is as designers, you can and you do have a voice because you are the one yeah. that makes those design decisions, and I think that was what I came mm-hmm. to my thesis was that we do have a responsibility as designers to make or
2: to at least advocate for ethical ecosystem hmm Yeah, I think, I think you're right. And there's the, the sort of like two things I want to mention. So first around like the, the ethics in products. One thing for me that's like a ray of hope um, is that there seems to be this sort of new role coming up in tech companies, which is like the chief of ethics. Yeah. So Airbnb has somebody at the sea level whose role it is mm-hmm. to actually evangelize and maintain the ethical standards in the organization which for me is amazing because especially with the way with the speed at which technology is evolving it's so important so that is I guess a a, a positive thing but one other thing that I mentioned and I just thought of it um, now when you're speaking about your your thesis is like I think the universities have got a big role to play in technology that is currently not being fulfilled. Mm -hmm. Like, there is so much research that needs to be done that can't be the responsibility of the people working in the business. Like, there needs to be UX research labs that are specifically geared around understanding people's relationship with technology because you know i mean in Mm. the example you're talking about where where a person is continuously getting notifications it's a little bit easier to sort of pick that up but for example how do we pick up for the person who maybe is in the situation where they've already developed that unhealthy relationship with their phone and they don't want to turn the notifications off but it's having a negative impact Mm. on their psyche like those are those are elements of research or like those are research projects that need to happen over months Mm -hmm. because you need to essentially be able to understand a person the changes in a person Mm -hmm. over extended periods of time and there's no way a business is going to invest in that Mm -hmm. or they might invest in somebody else doing that work but there's no way that they'll do the work for themselves (laughs) and that's where I think um, universities can really both do a service but also start to provide more value to to our society, mm. because they have these people that are like very strong from the research perspective, by by the very fact that they are doing their PhDs or masters right. or honors or whatever. Okay. And I think if yeah. universities and businesses start to create stronger relationships, mm. we can we can really start to make a dent in this problem.
0: I think institutions as well, like creating businesses with businesses too. You know, understand this. Mm-hmm. Because it's so new and it's changing so often I feel like a lot of times we're just doing the best that we can to get through our own birthdays. You know, it's a ton of responsibility mm-hmm. to place on mm-hmm. our young shoulders I want to say. We, we can't take ownership of every single thing that happens as well because it's mm-hmm. 90% of the time out of our hands.
3: Mm-hmm. And
0: I think in time, And I do know that as technology grows, people and businesses will be created around understanding. It. And I think it has, like if we take like the needs of the moment, it's the entire job to put our particles and, you know, maintain this database of knowledge for us to back into about, you know, UI patterns and its research methods. And I think as time goes on and as this becomes a more mature field, like the other fields that exist out right there, we will have access to that. To make better decisions. Yeah.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, if you think of what medicine was like five, 10, 15 years into medicine, they probably didn't know enough to be making, cut, cutting into pieces. Exactly. No, you know. Yeah. So I feel like that's where we at. You know, we have a scalpel and mm-hmm. people now with the basic knowledge that we have, but hopefully, for mm-hmm. years from now, mm. those designers will be in a better position.
3: Mm-hmm. And
0: it's almost like,
1: you you use the medical industry as a metaphor, and it's a good one. If you think about cigarettes, how long it was, you know, promoted and just seen as non-harmful. It took many many years for the long-term damages to be very concrete and evidence before people started acting upon it. And sadly, I think that's going to be the same. We have to wait another few years for the bad harmful side effects of non-ethical technology use to be so harmful and so visible you know it needs to be concrete for Mm -hmm. everyone to like like global warming (laughs) you know it has to be here (laughs) right now I don't know if you guys have seen the movie don't look up but it's basically the same concept it has to be happening in front of you you know, if I if it, I can't see it, I don't believe it, or that uh, that saying. Mm-hmm. And yeah, sadly, I think we're gonna have to fail at it before we prioritize it.
0: And for it mm-hmm. to become something that's becomes legalized or, or yeah, the like, legal system. Like I think the one thing yeah. to try mm-hmm. it is understanding that to your protection of personal information. For yeah. So I think that's... Yeah change happens over time. You know, there's nothing that's going to happen overnight and we can talk and I think talking is what will bring about the change, being aware of what's wrong. Even if we don't have the answers right now, I think it's at least a step forward
3: mm-hmm.
0: for someone to lean back on and say, okay, at least they noticed something was going on, but years from now, maybe they'll have the answers that we did
3: yeah yeah i just
2: i just was (laughs) scratching my head there for a second anytime anybody mentions the government being involved in technological like regulation i just think about those mark zuckerberg like um what do you call it when you're speaking to the senate yeah that trial and like the questions that they ask i'm like how are we ever gonna get those people to effectively regulate our technology
0: it's like most people will be out soon enough right like our generation is moving to, like that's the change that happens over time mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. systems and people are governed by different groups of people that hopefully will know better and will try to do better. yeah and that's all we can hope for
2: that actually makes yeah. me feel a little bit better
0: you're <laughs> 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 um, gonna be okay LP. i think the world
1: is be <laughs> okay just don't have kids.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's a podcast.
2: <laughs> uh, no, I like kids too much, unfortunately.
1: <laughs> Sabia, you mentioned, uh, you know, the few boundaries you already have set, especially after your thesis, you know, no social media, you're saying some of the d- do not disturb and sleep modes. But generally, like Alfie said, we're all three in this tech space where Unfortunately, our job forces us to very much fully immerse ourselves into a lot of technology, either because we have to physically use it to create our work or because it's a part of our expanding our skill sets or our knowledge about the industry and the space that we're working in research-wise. How do you find balance (laughs) working in this space?
0: The one thing, a uh, confession I have to make is that I don't design nearly as much anymore. It was a conscious decision that I took a while and I'm sitting with us this, this year specifically where I've now hired mm-hmm. people to do the job because of the effect mm-hmm. happening um to The point where I would become very obsessed with the project that I was working and mm-hmm. the client's advantage, obviously, because I would research and test and try out everything and try and come up with the best solution. But like, mm-hmm. I would be dreaming about it, I would be thinking about it consistently. And it really took over my life so much that I had to come to a point where I was like, let me try not doing this and see if I'm okay, if it has any difference. And if, mm-hmm. I can't explain who I was in December last year and who I am in February this year. Like, be you saw mm-hmm. you know, last year and now, you know, and mm-hmm. the anxiety is all the way down. The obsession, mm-hmm. the compulsive thoughts, the need sure. to keep up has decreased mm-hmm. yeah. all the way down. But I'm sitting at a point now where I almost feel sad and, and like something is missing because I was so used to
3: it mm-hmm.
0: so long. It's almost like yeah. smoking cigarettes or, or being addicted to anything and choosing to have a life without it. So I don't know if there is a the balance. Yeah. I think you have to really personally find your limits because you want to be good at the mm-hmm. job. You want to be aware of everything. and You kind of have to be in these days. But where do you as a designer and as a person say, okay, enough is enough I know enough Mm -hmm. to do this job right now like
3: yeah
0: or I've had enough for today Mm -hmm. that's been my thing these days as I was saying when we started chatting was I have to consciously make decisions to not trigger myself because now Mm i spend so much of time trying to understand what triggers me like client meetings, mm-hmm. for example, and talking to clients, I used to get a lot of validation from it, but I also used to get a lot of anxiety about it. These things sure. didn't go well. So now, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm choosing not to be part of the client meetings and not to be part of the day-to-day projects, and instead just overseeing the management of it. So it's taken away everything that was triggering it, but it also takes away the good. It also takes away the joy mm-hmm. I got out of the job. So I have to now redefine Mm -hmm. what I want to do, how I want to do it. And it's happened twice already. It happened with development where I got really obsessive and really like, this needs to be perfect and the code, it drives me crazy. I got to that point with design as well. And that's why my personal mental health has been such a guiding light or such an eye-opener into Mm -hmm. technology on an end-user side because – my mental health is not nearly as bad as some people's, like people that have actual full-blown anxiety or types of compulsive disorder. And when you actually understand what those people go through, I can only imagine that their only choice sometimes is to not be part of it. Yeah. And that makes it but, yeah. You know, hopefully we can find the space, and for myself, where I can feel mm-hmm. safe and okay
2: to be part of this evolution without feeling sick yeah that's amazing um, so I think we're we're kind of reaching the the sort of closing stages of this time has flown by for me at least I really I've really enjoyed this um, but maybe just one last quick question or maybe a piece of advice that you might be able to leave because <clears throat> seems like this is a, a space that you've thought quite a lot about what would you say for someone who is finding that their digital life is taking over and they're struggling to manage is there any sort of piece of advice or things that you think they could consider to help them get to a better place
0: yeah i mean i think it's it's acknowledging it firstly and acknowledging ways it's happening mm. like okay my because mm. it's not easy right it's not easy to say okay my job is literally giving me diet, yeah. <laughs> like, and being willing to make such a drastic change that I have. But if you're not in that mm-hmm. position to do that, then find the small ways every day to make yourself feel better. Mm-hmm. Like that was where I started and it took years to get to this point of okay, Finding a position where I can make a drastic change, but every day just feeling something. Do I actually am I actually allowed to feel that way around the people? Like that? Mm-hmm. And it was such a conscious thing for me to mm-hmm. have to say, especially to colleagues where I would say, I'm feeling very anxious today, or this is making me feel this way. Can mm-hmm. I ask you for assistance? Like, can you lead this meeting because this client triggers all my nerves, <laughs> for example? And that was my whole last year was understanding how mm-hmm. specifically work was and which clients and which situations were triggering me and then mm-hmm. creating a space in a life in which that mm-hmm. didn't exist or was reduced at least. I think that is the hardest part because once you can identify a problem, it's easy enough to come up with a solution for it. Ask for help, mm-hmm. talk to someone professional also. mm
3: mm-hmm. Yeah. I
0: wonder. If, I wonder Thank how good psychologists are to actually talk about technical addiction. That's something
1: like that. <laughs> Getting better, yeah. definitely. Yeah.
2: Could also be a whole other podcast. <laughs> um, Sabia, I have to say it has been amazing speaking to you again. Um, as always, you have got a lot to share, um, and I think you've brought a lot of value to the people listening. But. I have to say, even just to myself, reading your thesis was definitely a pleasure. Um, And thank you for making the time to chat with us.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for your time.
0: No, it's a pleasure. Thank you for reading it. Uh, (laughs) You know, sometimes you don't, those things just get put away on a shelf. So Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. really appreciate you guys taking the time and and for chatting today and making it an open and safe space to talk about. Hopefully, whoever listens can, you know, give their experiences as well. It'd be great to Mm -hmm. add after this. Definitely,
1: Definitely. I think a lot of people gonna resonate with this conversation.
3: Mm -hmm. All
2: right, shall we call it there? Thank you, everybody, for listening today. This is another episode of the Edit Undo podcast. Till next time, cheers!
3: Cheers, guys.